For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Sentencing was announced last week for Derek Hughes, 37, who stood accused of poaching burls from giant redwood trees in, you guessed it, Redwood National Park in California. Back in 2018, a clever park ranger noticed several untouched burls in the vicinity of a few that had already been stolen. Figuring the thief would return to finish the job, the ranger set up trail cams and caught Hughes red-handed. Or should I say redwood-handed. I'm Groot. These redwood burls are highly prized for making furniture, and a nice burl coffee table will certainly tie a room together. Ethically sourced redwood burls are salvaged from trees that were felled in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Back then, sawmills wanted straight-grained timber, and so the knotty burls were rejected, and ethical manufacturers today salvage these existing burls. However, new illegal burls are cut from living trees. You might think this sounds pretty minor, just harmlessly slicing a bulbous protrusion off the side of a trunk. Our friend Buck Bowden does something like that to make his beautiful bowls from birch burls, which is both a fine craft and a tongue twister. However, cutting new redwood burls is much more damaging to living trees. Poachers take out chunks about the size of a chest freezer, like you and a buddy could easily shelter from rain in one of these gaping tree cavities. This can kill the tree, and some poachers even cut down living redwoods just to get to the burls. When Hughes's home was searched, investigators found several burls that matched trees in the park. The search turned up several other interesting items like methamphetamines, illegal weapons, other stolen property, and, interestingly, some brass knuckles. Hughes, in general, does not seem like the cuddly type. 
We've often talked on the show about how hard it is to get judges to take wildlife crime seriously. Poachers of all kinds often suffer stiffer penalties for the drugs in their possession than for the deer heads. And, in fact, the only charge that stuck to Hughes was for vandalism. His total debt to society will amount to about 400 hours of community service and two years of probation. My uh, darker side wishes the Redwoods themselves had dispensed a little justice. Maybe a tree trunk falling on Hughes' vehicle would have reminded him that uh, he's dealing with some powerful forces. Come, my friends. This week, we've got, oh, the manatee, the snort report, and Biden-Trump round two. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week, and friends and neighbors, I'm not going to lie, I feel like, and please let me know if you've ever been here, like I just need to lie down in a deep depression and cry for a bit, but I just don't have the time. And then I kind of feel crazy when I look at the animal that I want to cry over, and she's just licking your face and totally happy. What the hell happened last week? Also, I'm heading back to the Hawaii to hopefully help put a positive spin and happy ending on a big sheep hunt gone wrong. I'll fill you in on that later, but first, the Snort Report, Episode (coughs) 2. Snort is doing great. She's lying on the couch being pestered by flies, whom she is actively attempting to eat out of the air. Happy and completely disconnected from the fact that she has two necrotic spots on her ear, necrosis is defined as the localized death of living tissue. Rattlesnake venom, by and large, contains compounds that kill tissue and blood cells. The damage to the blood cells make the bite victim bleed, The damage to the cell tissue helps the snake digest its prey faster. It is important to remember that there are a ton of variables at play in these instances. Health of animal, size of animal, and the million dollar question, how much venom? All I can do for you is relay our story in hopes that it may at least mentally prepare you for the day that your dog or your hunting partner's dog gets bit. Benadryl. My vet buddy said give the dog 100 milligrams of Benadryl. I only had 25 milligrams left in my first aid kit. Benadryl is an antihistamine. It does not fight rattlesnake venom. What it does do is sedate the dog just like it does to you, and it does not have known long-term effects on your furry friend's little liver. To get back to what I said about things to do in a snake bite situation, Keep the victim calm. Dogs have high resting heart rates. My athletic friend Snort has a higher than usual resting heart rate. And calm was about the only thing I could do for her on our very, very long, very bumpy, slow crawl out of the Owyhee wilderness with one flat tire. I popped the 25 milligram Benadryl into the back of her throat and got her to swallow by tilting her chin up and gently petting her from the underside of the chin down past her esophagus, typically works. Then I plugged the nipple of a squeeze bottle between her lips at the back of the jaw and forced her to drink. In this situation, technology was a comfort. Again, for the first time ever, I had in my possession a satellite transmitter receiver called a somewhere device. 
It weighs nothing and links up to your phone like a hotspot. The device itself has a handy little elastic strap on the back of it, which I used to fix it high up on the leg of my tripod, which was strapped into a gun holder, so it kind of acted like an antenna there in the Can-Am. Additionally, I was able to keep both the transmitter and my phone plugged into the cigarette lighter. You know, God bless all you uh, Quebecois Canadians that still smoke. The ability to communicate allowed me to talk to my vet friend and get advice. Being able to communicate with a human was a real comfort. I spoke to the dog the rest of the time. By the time we hit a big creek crossing, about two-thirds of the four-wheel drive journey out, Snort's bath mat was soaked in blood. Dog ears are notorious for producing a ton of blood out of seemingly normal minor cuts, but this was different. Snort's body chemistry had a bad reaction to the anticoagulant in the snake venom, and blood poured from the two little teeny tiny pinpricks the fangs left behind. As the flesh began to deteriorate around these holes, the blood ran even more freely. I did know that my initial bandage job was not good enough. But, I'll tell you right now, I'm just a frickin' sissy when it comes to these dogs, and my dog was screaming in pain when I handled that ear. I texted my vet friend while rummaging through the med kit and driving the Can-Am with my knees up this godforsaken trail and gave him the inventory of what I had. Mucinex, ibuprofen, Dramamine. He asked about Snort's condition. I gave it to him. He said, bite a 200 milligram ibuprofen in half and give it to her, but only once. Ibuprofen should not be used. It's toxic to dogs, but in these extreme cases, if it's all you got, it may help. In addition to this, he said, compress the ear. I had a very old package of quick clot, the new type of stuff, not the old military stuff. This stuff's not supposed to burn or be uncomfortable. It's also not supposed to be used as like a topical situation to bleeding. This stuff has to be like pressed into the wound. It can also be like packed into a wound. The little packages are not meant to just be like lightly placed on something and, you know, it's not magic. So I mentally prepared myself. I peeled the old bandages off put the quick clot on her gushing red exposed ear. Then I wrapped a few straps of gauze around it and tightened down the whole package. Dog screams are unpleasant anytime. But this situation where we were with one flat tire in the middle of nowhere, this was terrible. And I still don't think I got it right. I just hoped that the quick clot would for, you know faith-type reasons, form a good seal with the hair left on the ear, and just, like, bond everything together and just slow things down. A few hours later, we were slowly pulling the trailer and side-by-side through a series of ranch roads, heading for Mudflat Road, a more prominent artery in the Waihee country. The bleeding had slowed, but the truck was a mess of blood. You know, of course I wasn't going to leave Snort in the back of the truck. She was going to ride shotgun with me. I needed somebody to chat with. Over the next rise came a ranch truck with a couple of cow dogs in the back. The truck pulled onto the shoulder and the cowboy hung a hand out, which is the universal sign for stop and say hi. Although, as you can imagine, I wasn't exactly in the chatting mood. 
I still had to stop. Dog got hit by a rattlesnake, I said. Oh, that's no good. One of mine got bit earlier this summer, the cowboy said, and he gestured to the two cow dogs standing in the back of his truck, both of which were some kind of mix that were like red healer and about the same size as Snort, a little shorter, a little more muscled, probably within a few pounds. The cowboy said, uh, yeah, she got real docile for a while. Lost a good bit of meat on that leg too, but she's doing good now. Well, I won't tie you up any longer. Good luck. See, I thought to myself, that dog made it. With no veterinary care, Snort's going to be just all right. About an hour later, I wasn't all that confident. I was within 30 miles of pavement. My friend, the little Snort dog, was responsive, but the response was similar to trying to rouse someone who's been passed out on the bar, you know. Took a lot of effort for only a little response. I forced more water into the corner of her mouth. Most of that water made it onto the truck seat, and I put a little more pressure on the gas pedal. By the time we hit the pavement, the random and occasional high-pitched whine I'd heard coming from the trailer behind me made perfect sense as the dust blew off brown and light, but white smoke trickled from one of my hubs, which is not good. Another half mile on, I could see a trailer tire losing air. Not good. I have a $30,000 machine. Literally what it costs, you know. Just a tiny truck. And that machine belongs to Can-Am. And that machine is packed full of all of my hunting stuff. And it's on a trailer that belongs to Meat Eater. I have no locks for any of it. And the prospect of leaving the whole setup on the side of the road on the edge of the least populated county in possibly the entire contiguous lower 48 didn't sound like a great plan. The trickle of smoke stopped. So I kept going. And around the corner came Grand View, Idaho. The tire shop, which amazingly exists there, was closed. But one of the garage doors was open. And I knew exactly what I would find inside. Someone or someone's wrenching after hours on their own rig in the company shop. Big, big thank you to the guys at Commercial Tire in Grandview, Idaho. They took one look inside the truck and the screaming bloody dog said, how can we help? They helped drop the trailer in place, took my name and number, and had Snort and I headed north, one step closer to the vet, in under seven minutes flat, which could have made a big difference. The next break I got was from a sheriff who flashed his lights at me, but did not pull me over. And the last break I got was from the incredibly awesome staff at Sun Valley Animal Hospital in Haley, Idaho, primarily uh, Katie, Sarah, and Doc uh, Heidi Wogue, who invested serious time both on the clock and off into getting Snort better, which you know she now is. Ears still a little questionable. Not out of the woods yet, but she's got two of those. I got a lot more to talk about here, and it gets more interesting as we start to talk about types of snakes and venoms and what happened and what could have happened and how life as a vet would just be easier if the damn things could talk back to you. I'm going to continue this for one more segment. Like I said, I need to get this rattlesnake info right. It will be worth the wait, especially if you have a dog at home. For all you elk hunters out there, 
chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver, off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on. Oh, the manatee. That's an ode, maybe an homage, to my friend Ed Anderson. You know, the wickedly famous, very attractive uh, wildlife artist, Ed Anderson. That guy. Manatees also known as sea cows, have made a remarkable recovery since the species was listed as endangered in 1967. Back then, scientists believe only a few hundred West Indian manatees existed along the Florida coast. Today, their numbers have swelled to over 6,000, and Sunshine State residents have taken an understandable pride in the gentle, lumbering water mammal. But manatees might not be out of the woods quite yet. Despite their increasing numbers, the species has experienced a massive die-off this year. Between January and August of 2021, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission recorded 920 manatee deaths. That's over double what the annual average has been over the last five years, and nearly 100 more than the previous one-year record of 830 dead sea cows. 
What's causing more manatees to die this year than in previous years? As with all things related to nature, the answer is... complicated. Watercraft collisions with manatees have accounted for about 75 deaths, but that number isn't much higher than historic averages. Manatee habitat is probably the bigger factor, or more specifically, the lack of manatee habitat. As their nickname suggests, sea cows eat sea grass. A lot of it. Manatees spend about 8 hours grazing every day, and they can eat up to 15% of their body weight during that time, which is staggering. Considering manatees weigh a solid 1,000 pounds, they need a lot of lettuce to stay fit. Unfortunately, parts of the Florida coast are experiencing significant seagrass losses due to extreme weather, heat, water pollution, and algae blooms. According to the Florida Conservation Commission, Indian River Lagoon is one of these areas, and it's also where manatees love to hang out. 58% of the seagrass in the lagoon system has died in the last decade or so. According to the St. John's River Water Management District, it's been choked off from sunlight by an oversaturation of nutrients in the water, which are deposited by fertilizers, septic tanks, and road runoff. Without seagrass to munch on, some manatees are simply starving to death. The red tide on the Gulf side of the state has also been connected to manatee death this year. The red algal bloom releases brevitoxins, which have been suspected of killing manatees in the Tampa Bay region. Sometimes, manatees ingest the toxins while swimming through the red tide or eating seagrass with toxins on it. Other times, the red tide can block the sunlight and keep seagrass from growing, much like nutrient runoff is doing on the Atlantic coast. Manatees are facing another future threat that might come as a surprise. While the species has been harmed by agricultural discharge, sea cows have benefited from power plant discharge as well. According to the Florida Conservation Commission, over half of Florida manatees seek shelter from cold winter waters in warm water discharges of power plants, but power companies are likely to reduce these discharges within the next 30 years, which, as you can imagine, puts the green energy animal rights folks in a pretty awkward position. As a side note, if you're interested in West Indian manatees, you might also be interested in their giant, now extinct cousins, the Stellar's sea cow. These massive mammals could grow up to 10 tons and reach 30 feet in length, over twice as large as the largest manatee. <laughs> they inhabited the coasts of the western United States, up to Alaska, and across the Bering Sea to the Commander Islands off the coast of Russia. They still existed at the first European contact in the 18th century, but their populations had dwindled to only about 2,000 individuals. Seal hunters quickly learned how to capture and kill the large, slow sea cow, and as with many famous animals, the species didn't survive long after European contact. As far as we know, none exist today. I like to think we've learned a thing or two about ecological health since the 18th century, and efforts are already underway to keep the manatee from following the footsteps of the stellar sea cow. As per usual, animal rights groups are planning to sue. The Center for Biological Diversity announced its intention to sue the Federal Department of Fish and Wildlife for allegedly failing to properly designate critical habitat for the sea cow. 
The group wants the federal agency to designate specific physical or biological features to protect, like seagrass or warm water springs, rather than just certain waterways. Florida federal lawmakers have also gotten involved. Republican Rep. Vern Buchanan and Democratic Rep. Darren Soto have called for manatees to be relisted as endangered under the Endangered Species Act. The animal was downgraded from endangered to threatened in 2017 thanks to its population rebound, but these legislators believe last year's die-off necessitates a return to endangered status. Manatees are beloved, iconic mammals in Florida, Buchanan said. This year's record-breaking number of manatee deaths is staggering and extremely concerning, which is why upgrading their status is absolutely critical. Other organizations are working to take care of manatees in need of help. The Clearwater Marine Aquarium in the Tampa Bay region announced in July its plans to build a new manatee rehab center before the waters turn cold this winter. Unfortunately, it's going to take a lot more than rehabilitating sick manatees to put the species on solid footing. Conserving that seagrass habitat will be a 5-10 to year process. According to Florida Fish Wildlife Conservation Commissioner Mike Soule, they cannot start planting grasses until the water quality issues are addressed. And the future of power plant runoffs is dependent on a host of factors. For now, researchers will continue monitoring the species and hoping this unusual level of mortality tapers off in the coming months. Moving on. Last week, we started kicking the hornet's nest comparing Trump's conservation record with Biden's. This week, we're going to keep kicking it. (laughs) Biden's pick for the Department of Agriculture is Tom Vilcek of Iowa, who served in the same capacity under Obama. No one will accuse Vilcek of being an avid hunter, but his deputy Robert Bonney really understands how land use can benefit wildlife habitat. So far, the best work they've done is overhauling the Conservation Reserve Program, or CRP, which helps farmers and other property owners put land into conservation easements. For instance, let's say you're a farmer growing corn, but there's part of your property that's a steep hill with mediocre soil. It's not worth the effort to plant that slope. So instead, you just plant it in CRP and get a little kickback for it. CRP was created in 1985 under President Reagan. It's been one of the most successful conservation efforts in American history, improving water quality, controlling soil erosion, improving habitat, and giving American farmers support to use, quote, non-productive land for a lot of productive things. Looking at the CRP program under Trump's pick, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue, enrollment in the CRP program dropped dramatically. Perdue did pay farmers directly to get them through the hard times, but there was not a single new enrollment into CRP in, you know, amazing upland bird states like Idaho or Montana. And the total land in CRP dropped from around 28 million acres to just over 21 million acres. Vilcek and Bonnie aim to add 4 million new acres into the CRP program by raising payment rates and expanding the number of conservation practices allowed under the program. At one time, CRP had as many as 35 million acres enrolled. We need to put the pressure on Vilcek and Bonnie to see what type of ground we can make up. 4 million acres is nice, but it just isn't going to cut it. Purdue did not directly address chronic wasting disease. Vilcek needs to be held accountable to address that head on. 
going over to the EPA. Trump's first pick was Scott Pruitt from Oklahoma. Pruitt gutted the Clean Water Act, removing protections for a full half of the nation's wetlands. Enforcement of the Migratory Bird Protection Act was also eliminated, which meant that companies could escape penalties for harming migratory birds as long as those companies didn't intend to do so. Pruitt also allowed permitting to proceed for Pebble Mine, a project that would be calamitous both for Alaska's land and water, but also for the reputation of responsible mining projects everywhere. It's important to note here that, although Pruitt did set a pretty serious tone by gutting the Migratory Bird Act and the Clean Water Act, a lot of what he did was, you know, in a way, just a big old, uh, you know, middle finger to the old man. A lot of the Obama-era changes to the Clean Water Act and the Migratory Bird Act were not enforceable. They were tied up in litigation. And so what Pruitt did was basically say these things that never went into effect because they got tied up into litigation. I'm going to say they don't matter anymore. And then they got tied up in litigation again. Again, this is kind of like the problem with, um, you know, nobody wanting to be a uh, radical centrist, right? You got to jump in and you got to push the pendulum all the way over to one side and then somebody else comes in, pushes it all the way back over to the other side. I'm going to move on. Biden's pick to head the EPA, Michael Reagan, grew up hunting and fishing. His tenure as the head of North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality has a great track record. He organized significant pollution cleanups in cooperation with industry, did a decent job resisting the more extreme parts of the environmental movement. He's still new at the EPA, but, you know, we're going to keep an eye on that guy. Trump deserves credit for signing the Save Our Seas Act, which reauthorized a program to clean up debris in lakes and oceans. Both of Trump's interior secretaries, Zinke and Bernhardt, advanced significant wildlife corridor projects, which we're just now seeing the effects of. They did so in cooperation with state governments, private landowners, federal agencies, and the tribes. This was no small feat. Most of all, we have Trump to thank for the passage of the Great American Outdoors Act, which permanently funded the Land and Water Conservation Fund and provided $9.5 billion to address the maintenance backlog at America's national parks. By coming out in support of the Great American Outdoors Act, Trump rallied key support from Republican legislators who had been reluctant to sign on. That allowed passage of one of the most significant pieces of conservation legislation in the last half century. One notable con for Biden. He has been slow to pick leaders for the Forest Service and the Department of Fish and Wildlife, both of which have a to-do list a mile long and things they need to take care of. Although the head of the Forest Service was appointed this summer, Fish and Wildlife still has an acting director. Is this an indication of where Biden's interests lie? Or don't lie? If you are a migratory bird hunter, fancy yourself a waterfowler. You want a strong leader at U.S. Fish and Wildlife. We have a huge drought that ran all the way through prime nesting and breeding habitats, colossal smoke columns, shifting migration patterns, and low to no water in parts of the western migration corridors. Let's get somebody confirmed fast. Remember, the longer you wait, the better they're going to have to be. So what's Biden done so far? 
The infrastructure bill that passed in August has a ton of great stuff for conservation. We could do an entire show just on the infrastructure bill. A couple notable provisions are $350 million grant program to build wildlife crossings over and under roadways. $250 million will go toward the maintaining and repairing the Forest Service extensive network of roads and trails. Those not only help hunters and anglers get in the backcountry, but it also mitigates soil erosion from unmaintained roads into rivers and streams, which has done a number on fish habitat. Over $15 billion will go toward estuary restoration, stormwater management, aquatic habitat protection, water quality improvements, and drought mitigation. Lastly, Biden recently announced an initiative called America the Beautiful, which claims to conserve 30% of the nation's land and water by 2030. This, quote, 30 by 30 idea is an international initiative to combat biodiversity loss, and no one has defined exactly how it should work. Some environmental groups have been pushing for complete protection of 30% of the Earth's lands and waters, which would have meant no human use, no hunting, fishing, ranching, you name it. Although the details are pretty light so far, the administration has made clear that lands used for farming, ranching, logging, and hunting will count toward the 30% goal, along with waters where people can fish. In my mind, that is a strategic move along the lines of one of my favorite bumper stickers. Cows, not condos. 30 by 30 is a hot potato, and you had best be at the table talking about it if you want to get your interests represented. We'll keep you posted. That's all the Biden-Trump face-off we can fit into the show for now. If you're not shy about it, give me your opinion. Write in and tell me what I missed, what I got wrong, and what we need to tackle in the future. A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at TheMeatEater.com. And lastly, go to www.steeldealers.com and find a reputable and knowledgeable steel dealer near you who can get you lined out with a fancy, quiet, clean electric chainsaw just like Cal has. That's a third-person recommendation right there. Anyway, I got mine charged up. It's underneath the seat, and we're heading out tomorrow back into the sheep country. Most importantly, use that email I just told you about. A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber. 
get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.